Well, good morning. Glad that you're here. If you're uh, joining, uh, visiting with us today, uh, I'd like to thank you for taking some time to, to be with us this weekend. And if you've a regular, you've been here since day one, we're, we're glad that uh, you're still here worshiping with us. We're just a group of people who get together once a week, uh, sometimes more than that, to uh, become more like Jesus and, and spend time together and grow and worship Jesus together. Uh, we're in the middle of this series called Christmas at the Movies. And uh, got a question for you all as, as we kind of get started this morning. Show of hands here. How many of you guys looked at the calendar this morning and you're excited because you realize it's only a week until Christmas? Anybody? Eight of you. Awesome. Awesome. The rest of you are really going to enjoy today's sermon. <laughs> or maybe not enjoy it. You're going to need it. Maybe that's what I should say. <laughs> Uh, how, how many of you, I guess, I guess I know the answer to this next question, how many of you looked at the calendar this morning and you are stressed out and terrified that it's only a week left until Christmas? Some of you raised your hands twice, both questions there. I don't know how that works. Some of you are like, man, I've got a lot to do this week. I've got to go finish shopping. Some of you are like me and you're like, man, I've got to go start shopping, um, you know, and yeah, that's kind of the way it works. My, my kids are on that excited list. You know, most kids are, right? Uh, we've had a countdown sheet. We printed them off a countdown where they can mark the days off. Uh, we started it six weeks ago. And uh, so, I mean, it's been going for a while now. But, but this is the week. It's kind of officially Christmas, right? Uh, schools are out for Christmas break. We're going to start getting together with family. Some people have already started traveling. Uh, because this is the week we actually kind of officially start doing the Christmas get-togethers uh, with, with friends and family. But for some people, and there were several hands that were raised on this question, this is a time of the year, specifically this week, these next few days, that are a little bit more difficult. You don't look forward to them quite as much as some others. Uh, you could even say maybe, uh, to some degree, you're a little bit of, of a Grinch, right? And in, in this series we've been looking at, uh, Christmas at the Movies, today we're going to look uh, at the movie How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Now, we're going to look at this from a couple of different angles, because uh, many of you <clears throat> probably grew up with, with this, right? This book came out in 1957, Dr. Seuss. Uh, one of my favorite Dr. Seuss books. I've got a, a two or three that they kind of separate, and this is one of them. I didn't necessarily grow up with this book, though. I grew up, like a lot of you did, with the cartoon classic. It came out in 1966, had Boris Karloff in it. And, and when I was a kid, these, these classics would be on TV like once during the year. And my dad put in a VHS tape and recorded them all in a line. And so we had like two tapes with all of the classic Christmas cartoons on it. The Grinch, Charlie Brown, Rudolph, uh, Frosty the Snowman, etc., and uh, I know my brother, he would watch them all year round. He, he actually eventually wore out the tapes. Like, we had to go buy them later on because he wore them all out. Uh, but, but kind of for the sake of, of uh, the sermon today, we're going to look at the movie that came out in 2000. And curious, how many of you guys saw this movie? How many of you know who it is playing the Grinch? Just, just say it. Jim Carrey, right? Now, you may say, how could a guy like a Jim Carrey, who seems like he's bouncing off the walls and excited all the time, play the Grinch? He had to sit in a makeup chair for eight hours every day to get all this put on. I would probably be a Grinch, too, if I were sitting in a... Uh, I mean, I kind of am anyway, but if I was in a makeup chair for eight hours. But here's kind of an interesting little nugget on, on Carrey. He played this role in 2000. Just a few years later, he plays another classic Christmas curmudgeon, if you will, Ebenezer Scrooge. 
uh, when they made the movie of The Christmas Carol. Now, obviously, this is computer animated, but it was Jim Carrey who supplied the voice and did what they call the motion capture acting. You may have seen this. Uh, a lot of movies, when it's a digital character, there's an actual flesh and blood actor, and what they do is they put little black dots all over their face, and they've got these cameras that, like this headset comes around, and these cameras are right here, and they capture facial expressions. So all of Scrooge's animated digital facial expressions are actually Jim Carrey's expressions to go along with his voice. Just kind of adds to the personality of the character. But what he's kind of mastered is, is Jim Carrey has kind of become the perfect Christmas curmudgeon, if you will. Now, some of you understand this because we have a group of you older fellows who meet on Mondays who call themselves the curmudgeons and uh, jokingly complain about things that eventually get back to me, by the way, um, almost every single week. So uh, I'm looking at one of you right now and one of you right now and a couple of you others right now. Um, but these guys, Scrooge and the Grinch, they, they really are. They really fit that bill. In fact, the Grinch, one of his things that he really wants to do, he says in the book and in the movies, is he says, I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. And it kind of made me think this week, if we got a new movie out of uh, the, the story of Jesus' birth, uh, Jim Carrey would absolutely have a role in that because he's going to play the original Christmas curmudgeon, King Herod, the guy who literally tried to stop Christmas from ever happening. Forget coming, he wanted to stop it from ever happening. And, and kind of what I'm going to look at today Kind of what we've done throughout the course of, of this series is, is kind of break down a little bit of, of what we can get out of this, this story. Because you see, with the Grinch and with Scrooge and with Herod, there's a, there's a reason that they have kind of this animosity built up, kind of this, this, this guard built up. And with the Grinch, I want to just read the opening of this story here. This is the same uh, in the movie, the cartoon, and, and in the book as well, too. It starts, starts this way. It says, every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why no one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Uh, I'm, I'm one of these that when I read something like that, I say, oh, well, that's the reason. Okay, well, what caused the reason? Why was the Grinch's heart two sizes too small? And I think when people get to this time of the year and, and, and they're struggling with finding joy, and, and we looked at this kind of sermon from the other angle a few weeks ago when we talked about Elf, about joy, but when we get to this time and somebody's struggling at this time of the year, what causes heartache? What causes our hearts to maybe harden a little bit or become maybe unreceptive to others uh, and, and, and to the gospel? And so a couple of lessons that we can pull from the Grinch. Uh, first lesson is this. Competition can harden a heart. There's a scene from the beginning of the movie. The Grinch is actually not in this scene, but he kind of sees this play out in the lives of the Whovians. Uh, so so watch, uh, watch this scene. No lights on in the house. Your mom must be shopping. Oh, good. I'm so glad you're home. Oh, I can feel it, Lou. This is the year when everybody asks who has the most spectacular lights in all of Greater Whoville. They're going to cry out, Mrs. Betty Lou Who. Isn't this the chandelier from the dining room? It's all for the cause, dear. Oh, and Cindy, could you be Mommy's little helper and unscrew the bulb there from the refrigerator? Because somehow I missed that one. God. <laughs> 
every year. Martha May Cuvier has the best lights. Well, not this year. This year, I'm gonna beat that prim, perfect little prissy Betty. Hi! Martha! My, I've never seen so many beautiful Christmas lights, Betty Lou. Well, I'd blow every fuse if I tried to keep up with you, Martha May. Isn't this antique, darling? It's handcrafted and almost a hundred years old. I'm really impressed. This, however, is new. Curious, how many of you all put up Christmas lights at your house? Again, about six or eight of you, nice. That little small group, the rest of you can ignore this question. Um, how many of you put up Christmas lights because your neighbors put up Christmas lights and you don't want to be the only ones without them? Is that anybody else? We kind of get that, right? Christmas kind of brings out this, this sense of competition. I haven't put up Christmas lights at our house here in the, the couple of years since we've uh, been here for a, a few reasons, uh, one of which I live on a private road and nobody's going to see them anyway. But uh, I also have a really tall front of my house, so I need one of those guns that, that Martha May has. Uh, but we all kind of have that Martha May Huvier in our lives, right, who, who kind of does something and, and we feel like we need to step up our game a little bit. When we lived in Oklahoma, I put lights up on our house and did the very basic thing, you know, just kind of lining the roof of the house. And, and uh, what most people do, my wife put some net lighting out on the, the shrubs in front of our house. One Christmas, I decided to take it up a notch and, and really impress my, my neighbors. And so I, I added something to my roof, this, this majestic kind of heavenly shade of crimson. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't really know how much time of Mima Public Schools, time and money I wasted um, in my classroom crafting the exact specific def, uh, uh, dimensions of this. I mean, this is, is perfect. If you would see this from above, the dimensions and angles are perfect. Um, I mean, I had computer programs to make sure that it was perfect, and it was up there. And, and my neighbors, let me tell you, my neighbors who were also Sooner Born and Sooner Bred loved it. Had some other neighbors who worshipped at the altar of this specific arrangement of letters, uh, you know, these colors that resemble the fiery flames of hell. They didn't really like it quite so well. Um, they, they tended to, uh, to, to boo my house a little bit. Uh, but, but I would do the Christmas light thing, and, um, you know, didn't really do a whole lot. My friend Kirk uh, was one of those, he's kind of a techie, he kind of knows uh, his way around these things. He, he figured out one of those displays uh, that, that synced up to music and he had a show that everybody in town went to watch and everybody in town really enjoyed. <clears throat> and then a couple years later, this guy named Glenn, a retired firefighter, uh, his house was in a specific spot where he had a huge yard. It was right across the street from a church with an empty parking lot. He took the show and like blew it through the roof. And like, I think his show is on YouTube. I mean, it's amazing. And all of a sudden I'm like, man, I've got like two strings of lights lined in my house. <laughs> you know, I need to step my game up and, and you know, just didn't have the time to mess with it. 
And, and you, you know how it is if you do Christmas lights. You spend a whole afternoon dragging them out and stringing them out and making sure the bulbs work and then putting them on your house. And then you come back about six weeks later when it's colder outside now and you've got to take them all down. And it's just all of a sudden this thought of, man, I've got to do something to keep up. And Christmas, for some reason, kind of makes that, that sense of competition stand out a little bit more. And social media doesn't help this. I mean, social media, we're really good at using that to put the very best of what we have to offer out there, right? Especially this time of the year, you know the families, uh, they've got their their family picture out there, and you're convinced it's not actually them or their kids, they've hired people to come in and pretend to be them, because it's perfect, right? Perfect family, perfect little sweaters and and shoes and jeans, they're in the the perfect location by the mountain or whatever, And, and, and they show it for everybody to see, and you're like, I can't keep up with that. Last Sunday, uh, we, we took the girls over to the Bear Hotel to the, the Evergreen Christmas party, and uh, kind of that same thing. There's all these perfect little families taking their perfect little pictures in front of this big perfect tree. We're like, hey, we can do this, and, and so we did, and um, this is kind of our perfect Christmas card, and if you notice the bottom, the bottom right corner especially, it, it doesn't really get much better, and, and we, we try, and you know, three-fourths of us are paying attention, and then we go the other direction. We flip it. <laughs> the complete other side of it. And, and then it just gets better. It gets better. This is, this is the face we see all the time. Everybody who says, oh, she's such a perfect angel, I'm like, come to my house for five minutes. Um, yeah. So, so then we see some lady, and she's like, oh, I'll take it for you. And so we let her take it, and it doesn't really get much better. I mean, this is the results, you know? And, um, you know, I, 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 I struggle with my height anyway, and she's cutting two or three inches off there. And so then we get this one, and this is about the best we can possibly get. The girls are vaguely looking at the camera, sort of smiling. I look like I'm falling asleep. My wife looks great, so at least there's that. But uh, yeah, this is, this is as good as it gets for the Witten family Christmas card. But we see those families that are, again, they're just perfect. You're like, man, I, I really want to do that. I want to keep up with that. And if you've got kids, you kind of understand how this works. But it's not just pictures, right? It's more than that. It's, it's we, we, we post what we are getting our kids for Christmas. And your friend's like, I'm getting this for my kid. And you're like, oh, you know, kind of that, that look that, that, that Betty Lou who has on her face when the gun comes out. She's like, I want that, you know, and, or, or the, they're, they're posting this trip they're going on, and, and you're like, man, I'm stuck here. I can't go anywhere. I don't really have the extra cash, but you do, man. That's great. Great for you. Good job. Yay. You know, and you're trying to be happy, but, but at the same time, we're like, I need to keep up a little bit. Even if we look at this from a spiritual angle, we've got people who took the whole month of November and every day they posted something they were grateful for and you're like, yeah, you're grateful, uh-huh. I'm more grateful than you. I just really don't want to do that. And, you know, we, we try to out-spiritualize each other a little bit. And it's like, there's just this non-ending competition. And that's not new to us. That's been part of the Christmas story from the very beginning. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew uh, chapter 2. We're going to look at a guy uh, who, who was kind of felt the sense of competition from the get-go. Uh, we're looking at, at King Herod here. And, and some context on this story as you're turning there. Uh, Herod is uh, the, the official king of the Jews. He's officially been put in place uh, by, by Rome. And this story where the magi or the wise men come looking for Jesus, just so you know, this actually takes place some time after Jesus is born, up to maybe a year or two. So just so you know, when you go home, your little nativity scene you've got there by your fireplace, you've got your Mary and Joseph and your Jesus and your shepherds, if your wise men are there, it's lying to people, okay? Move them across the room, they're not there yet, or else get rid of your shepherds because it doesn't all take place at the same time. Quit lying to people with your nativity scene. Um, So sometime later, 
Sorry, that's my rant. It's over. I'm done. Um, <laughs> sometime later, a year, maybe two years later, uh, Matthew 2 picks up the story of the birth narrative of Jesus, and it says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So we'll push pause here. Again, Herod is the official king of the Jews by, by Roman standards. And by all accounts, the Jews actually liked him. He did some good things for them. Uh, in particular, he took their temple, which had been rebuilt a few hundred years earlier, and he cleaned it up and he expanded it, and, and he made it grand, kind of going back to the days of Solomon. I mean, this was, the Jews loved this and, and kind of gave them a place to worship, and so he had really built a lot of favor with the Jewish people. But Herod, at this point in his life, he's been ruling now 35, 36 years. He's later in his life. He's getting crazy and senile, and he's extremely paranoid. And he's to the point where he's so paranoid that somebody is going to come in and overthrow him that he even has several of his own sons and one of his wives put to death because he's, he's thinking that they're going to, to throw him out. So when he hears them say, there's this new king of the Jews, he's like, uh-uh, that's not happening. Not on my watch. I'm the king, not this little baby. And so even though he's kind of getting seen out, kind of getting crazy, he still has kind of his wits about him enough to get a little bit cunning. And the story goes on. He, he pulls in his Old Testament experts, his scribes, his scholars, and says, you know what the prophets say. Where is this child going to be born? And they're like, uh, about six miles down the road here in Bethlehem. It's like, okay. Sends them on their way. Calls the Magi back in. Hey, you guys, you've been following this star. When did you first see it? They're like, uh, about a, maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago, we've been on this long journey. Okay, great, you guys leave. He's the only one now who knows the whole story. He knows when and where. And so what's he do? He calls the Magi back in, and in verse 8 he tells them this. He says, he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. You know the story. Herod's not interested in going to worship this child. He just wants to know where he can find the child and get rid of it. And later on in the story, he actually has uh, his guys go out and look for every, every boy that's two years old and, and younger to be gotten rid of and, and, and gets rid of, 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 of dozens of, of kids simply because he's paranoid and he's crazy. I don't know what it is that causes people uh, to, to have their hearts hardened or to kind of turn into a Grinch. But one of the reasons I chose the 2000 movie over the cartoon, uh, to be honest, I'm not even a big fan of, of that movie. I like the cartoon version better. But I picked it because it shows some of the background story, and it, it adds to it. And in particular, there's one scene. The Grinch, it's kind of telling his story. He's accidentally dropped in Whoville. He's never supposed to be there, but that's where he, he gets dropped by, the, by kind of a stork, and that's where he grows up. And he's raised by a loving uh, family. But when he's eight years old, he's in about second grade, He's developed a crush on Martha May Huvier, and she's actually kind of developed one back on him, and it's made Augustus May who, uh, this kind of stuffy, arrogant kid who grows up to become the mayor, made him jealous. And, and so uh, he kind of picks on him. He says, Martha May would never love you. You're eight years old and have a beard. And um, then the next day, they're going to do this gift exchange. So the Grinch goes home, and he makes this really ornate angel, and he makes it out of garbage, out of, out of trash and just salvage pieces, and he makes this kind of beautiful angel tree topper for Martha May, but he thinks, I, I need to shave because she's not going to love me if I've got a beard. He's right. So he tries shaving and cuts himself on the face like a lot of people do when he's, when he's learning to shave and shows up the next day and he's got little squares 
little cuts all over his face, and he's got this thing he's very proud of, but isn't nearly as nice as everybody else's gifts. Competition, right? So the kids start making fun of him, and it breaks his heart. And what's he do? He, he decides he hates Christmas, because Christmas is all about the wrong thing. So he takes the Christmas tree, and he destroys it, throws it down and breaks it, destroys the classroom, and he runs away. And he runs off as far as he can go. He runs up Mount Crumpet, which is this tall mountain right above Whoville. And he lives there by himself in solitude, away from everybody else and everything else up until the present day. The irony is this story of the Grinch actually mirrors, kind of parallels, the story of one of the main actors in the film. Uh, Little Cindy Lou Who is played by an actress named Taylor Momsen. And uh, she's adorable here, six, seven years old when this movie is made. Here's what Taylor looks like now. Uh, she moved from this state of this adorable little child actress to somebody who's rebelled and, and just, man, gone the far opposite direction. And in fact, in the late 2000s, she helped start uh, kind of this hardcore rock band called The Pretty Reckless. And uh, their second album that they released, she actually appears nude on the cover for it. And the album is called Going to Hell. And there's a song on the album with that title, Going to Hell. And it talks about it. For everything I've done, I'm going to hell. Uh, it says, I'm, I'm getting engaged to the devil and I'm hearing wedding bells. I'm going to hell. And you read that, and you're like, man, that, that story kind of breaks your heart. And, and, and you look at her, and, and, and she was raised as a Catholic in a very devote, uh, d- devoted, devout family, but she now would, would identify herself as being agnostic, meaning she neither acknowledges God's existence or, or acknowledges that he doesn't. She just doesn't really care. That's kind of where she stands on the issue. And it would be very easy to kind of look at her Look at where she was and where she's at today and say, what's wrong with you? You had it all and look at you now. What's wrong with you? It's kind of easy to look at the Grinch and and look at where he's at. He's living up there by himself and he, he wants everybody else to be as miserable as him and say, what's wrong with you? But when you step back, you, you kind of realize that's not the right question that we need to ask people. We shouldn't ask people what's wrong with you. The question we need to ask is, what happened to you? What happened to you? Because you see with the Grinch in the cartoon, we don't get that. In the movie, we get that story of what happened, why he's angry with everybody, why he hates everybody and hates Christmas. When the story of Taylor Momsen, it's easy, again, to look at where she is today and say, what's wrong? But when you look at what happened, she comes back in an interview and says, from the time I was two years old, my parents had me in professional modeling agencies. And then she grew up as, as a child actor uh, and, and she said, basically, this was a life I never asked for and I never wanted. And I had all this pressure on me and I never wanted any of it. She had this certain expectation she had to live up to. And it just kind of crushed her. And so she ran away from it as soon as she could. She ran away from it as far as she possibly could. She didn't want that little perfect little girl image on her. And that's just kind of what happens to a lot of people. We see the end result too often. But too often, we don't see the process that got them to that end result. And far too often, our hearts have become hardened. Our hearts have become broken simply because of the pressure to impress, the pressure to be something that we've never really wanted to be. So that's kind of the first lesson we get out of the Grinch, is that competition can harden a heart. But here's the second lesson we can get. Community can change a heart. 
Community can change a heart. At the climax of the movie, just like in the book, just like in the cartoon, the Grinch has successfully stolen Christmas, right? He's gone down into Whoville on Christmas Eve. He's stolen all the presents, all the stockings, the trees. He's stolen all the decorations. And he's even stolen their food, their roast beast. And he says he even stole the last can of who hash. They had nothing left with which to celebrate Christmas. And his hope is they're going to be crushed. They're not going to want to celebrate anymore. They're going to become as miserable as me. And this is what happens. Then the Grinch heard a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. Huh? Huh? But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sounded merry. But it was merry. Very. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. <laughs> he hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it just the same. Mr. <laughs> Grinch! And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas. He thought. Doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps. Means a little bit more. then, well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. It's kind of funny. I heard some of you guys kind of saying along there at the end. You know that, that phrase. This is a story we've heard most of our lives. And I love the line, you know, right when he's in the middle of his reverse heart attack, which I've never seen before, but uh, he says, help me, I'm feeling 
You know, it's not something he likes or he's enjoying. He's, he's completely learned to shut his feelings down. And there's, in fact, there's a scene uh, earlier in the movie where little Cindy Lou goes up to him and invites him down to Whoville for a celebration. And he's thinking of all the reasons why he can't go. So he looks at his calendar and he says, even if I wanted to go, my schedule won't allow it. Let's see, four o'clock, wallow in self-pity. 4.30, stare into the abyss. 5 o'clock, solve world hunger, tell no one. 5.30, jazzercise. 6.30, dinner with me, and I can't cancel that again. 7 o'clock, wrestle with my self-loathing. And then later he says, uh, I will uh, have time to lay in bed, stare at the ceiling, and slowly slip into madness. He, he enjoys being by himself. He kind of enjoys this thought uh, of just being miserable. And, and too often, I think we're the same way. I've known people, had friends who, I, I kind of just got the sense, they enjoy being miserable because we've, we've tried to pull them out of this. We try to give them things to, to be happy about and to enjoy, and they just keep pushing them away. And, and they just don't want them. And, and in some cases, like, man, you don't even really have reason to be upset anymore. Like, you've gotten past your hurt. You've gotten past all of this stuff, but they just, they want to kind of hold on to it in case they need it, in case they need something to fall back on. And like, man, what? What needs to change? What needs to change? How can we make your heart grow three sizes? How can we give you that same transformation that the Grinch went through? And, and here's kind of where we're going to go with this today. The Bible kind of tells us how we can do this. The Bible tells us how we can allow our heart to be transformed and, and changed. Uh, the first lesson from the Bible is this. You have to understand that new hearts are given, not gained. They're given, they're not gained. There's not actually anything we can do on our own. We don't possess the ability to, you know, to go to the gym and, and work out and our heart increase like, like other parts of our body might. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, it's not something that, that we can do. Only God can change it. But here's kind of the good news about that. Not only can God change it, He wants to. He's, he's offered to, he's invited us to, and he spoke through the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel saying this. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Uh, we, again, we can't manufacture that, but we can pray a prayer. Similar to a prayer that David, King David, who was known as the, the man after God's own heart, a prayer that he prayed when he found himself kind of at rock bottom, kind of at a, a spot where he was in, almost in complete opposition to God. He had, he had just committed this list of atrocious sins, one after the other, including adultery, including murder. Uh, he had done all of this stuff that just made him man, in a bad spot. And he prayed this prayer, Psalm 51, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And I love how he phrased it, create in me. Don't, hey, just fix mine. No, create a whole new heart in me. Give me an entire new heart. We can pray that same prayer and God will answer in much the same way he did with David. But it only happens when you're willing to hand him your heart of stone first and say, take this one away and give me a new one. A second lesson we need to, to, to understand is this. New hearts are replaced, not repaired. Now, some of you uh, already understand kind of how this works. As you get older, your heart starts to wear down, just like, uh, you know, the rest of our bodies do. And so we go through a, a battery of tests, things like EKGs, or, or maybe we're given blood thinners to help with a blockage, or, or we have these different pro procedures and processes that can be, be done to help kind of fix our hearts. In some cases, we even have to go in for open heart surgery. Spiritually, though, it doesn't quite work that way. 
there's not a spiritual EKG. There's not a spiritual uh, angioplasty we can have. What we get spiritually is simply a heart transplant. We get a whole new heart put in. And this happens when we allow the Spirit of God to take over and kind of direct us and guide us in all that we do. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul said this, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. The promise today from the Spirit of God is that, if, is that we have access to Jesus. That's Christmas. He, he came to give us access. And we said this last week that, that the message of Christmas was reconciliation. And we've kind of said it throughout the, the course of this series. But th- the reason Jesus came was so that we could have access to God. And, and, and that's the whole Christmas story in a nutshell. So if you're not sure who God is, you're not sure who Jesus is, and why some of us get up here and talk about him or sing about him or, or worship him, understand this. Jesus is the one person who can radically change your life by simply inviting him into your heart and allowing him to give you a new heart. Third rule is this. New hearts connect in community. New hearts connect in community. Uh, this is, we do this kind of in two ways. In, in this setting on Sunday mornings together, and then we'll do it throughout the week, usually a, a group getting together in, in a home group or a small group in somebody's house outside of this building, kind of growing together in community. And what we want to do is invite more people in. And, and I get it. It's difficult. It's awkward inviting people to church. It's awkward for me, and I'm a pastor. It's just, it's tough sometimes because you don't know the feedback you're going to get. And, and it's true that most people are probably going to have a list of excuses or reasons why they can't come to church at least 51 weeks out of the year. There's one, sometimes two weeks that people will come. And one of those is next week. People will come for Christmas. People will show up. This room will be packed for Christmas. And so my, my challenge, my encouragement to you all, invite somebody, bring them here. Because he, here's kind of the reason I, I, I push this towards you guys. You guys are often more effective preachers in this community than I am. Because you're in the community, you're living with folks that need to be here on a daily basis. I'm often here and have to, to, to take myself intentionally into the community. You guys are already there. And so it's natural, it's easy for you. And, and, and I believe this truth very, very simple. Often the easiest and widest on-ramp for the, the message of God to get to, to people is the people of God. It's you all. Getting the message out there, inviting folks and bringing them here. So here's what we're going to do. Next Sunday, uh, we're, we're kind of combining everything into one. Our, our, our normal Christmas Eve candlelight service that we often have at night, we're doing it next Sunday morning, wrapped up in a bow kind of with our normal Sunday morning service. We're just kind of doing it all at once. Um, just kind of the way the calendar fell this year, it was kind of awkward, and, and so we're doing it all together. So next Sunday morning, we're doing one big service at 10 o'clock, and we invite everybody. We're going to have, our, our kids are going to be in here too, we're not going to have separate programming, we're going to have kids in here, it's going to be friendly for them, there's going to be stuff they're going to enjoy. So if you've got friends, family, bring them, bring them next Sunday morning. We're going to do the candlelight service part as well, I mean, it's going to be something for everybody in this service, but this might be the opportunity that that person you've been praying for for weeks or for months or, or for years might actually say, okay, I'll come. And this might be the opportunity for the story of Jesus to crack that shell just a little bit and, and maybe just chip away at it a little bit more. So bring them. Bring your friends. Bring your families. Go invite somebody to come to church next Sunday morning. I want to add more chairs if we have to. I want to pack it out. I'll do whatever we need to do. 
not for our glory, not for our benefit, but so that the message of Jesus, the message of hope, can get to more lives. Uh, That's it. There are thousands of people across this valley who need Jesus. And one of our first things we can do, one of our first steps we can do is invite him to hear his story. That's how we can change hearts. One day at a time, one message at a time, one conversation at a time. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the challenges that that he gives us. God, we're so thankful that you sent him to be one of us. God, that you sent him to be born. You sent him so that Christmas could happen. Because, God, without Christmas, we don't get to Easter. Without Easter, we don't get to you. So, God, I'm just so thankful that you sent him. God, I pray that if anybody today is struggling with that heart of stone, God, whether it's somebody here or maybe one of our friends or family, Lord, you would just let them know, I'm here. I'll change your heart. I'll soften your heart. I will will make you a new creation. And God, you'll just, just remind them and encourage them and comfort them every day. Just wrap your arms around them every day, letting them know, I'm here. I love you. I'll never leave you. I'm always with you. God, we... We, we love you so much. We're thankful that, that we can even learn about you from watching silly movies. God, I just ask that whatever we do throughout the day, whether, whether it's, it's watching a movie, whether it's going out on a, on a drive or a hike or, or doing our hobbies, whatever it is, God, we, you would remind us of who you are. You would show us you. You would teach us you all the time, every day. God, we're so thankful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.